Welcome to Unprecedented, Nursing During a Pandemic. This podcast is a collaboration presented by Lavery College, a leader in nursing and healthcare education, and William James College, a leader in psychology and mental health education. The series brings together nurses and psychologists for conversations about key issues that nurses and healthcare professionals are facing every day as the result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Episode one of Unprecedented Nursing During a Pandemic explores loss and grief. This episode is presented in three parts. This is part two. I do think control is something that was very challenging throughout this too. You know, in terms of not being able to control how you practice because now you're gowned and garbed and you can't touch people, you can't hug people. You know, you're sitting, you know, six feet away from everyone else. Mm -hmm. So there's also the, that human interaction is altered so much. So it's at times people would talk about how it felt surreal about how this doesn't feel like this can really be happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that there's probably grief in just for what used to be okay, what used to be our norm and how we used to hug a friend who was sad or, you know, touch a patient's arm or, and then if people felt like they really wanted to hold a patient's hand, they almost felt guilty for thinking they should do that and then guilty for not doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> It's kind of a double-edged sword. And I think healthcare providers struggle with, was that the right thing to do? And how do we, I guess, you know, as we're acknowledging the grief and processing the grief, a lot of these things are still in place. You know, you still are supposed to limit your exposure to patients. You're still wearing masks. You're still, the practice of nursing is very different. Nurses are not in the rooms as much. And I think that changes how you practice. So most nurses I'm work with are very in tune with their patients and they want to have that relationship and they can tell me things about their patients because they're with them 12 hours a day. Right? Yeah. And if the patient is conscious, they're going to recognize a nurse who is particularly caring and attentive, but not if she or he is completely masked and gowned up in full PPE so that it becomes impossible to tell one nurse from another. Right. And that's a, that's an issue too. That's actually quite uh, disorienting to patients if they yeah. can't recognize people and you know reach out, especially to a particular nurse they feel like they've really made a connection with. And that that's a loss for you too. You know that you don't get to feel that that bond. Even if it's a very short-lived bond, even if you have, you know, 12 hours with a patient and then they're gone, that still was a human interaction that matters, which, which you know, addresses the values that brought people to nursing in the first place. Very similar to the values that bring people to psychology, by the way, of, of really feeling compassion for uh, people who are suffering and wanting to alleviate that suffering. And the way to do that is with ourselves. You know, it's not just with the um, interventions that you make, it's with yourself. And there's a certain loss of self that happens when your 12-hour shift is so nonstop and so overwhelming and so combat zone-like. 
I wanted to mention also, you had said something important about uh, nurses, uh, many nurses being separated from their families, either quarantining within their own home or staying somewhere else in order to protect their families from COVID-19. That's also a source of grief because, uh, you know, particularly I think seeing one's children, if one has young children uh, or children who are going through a hard time and what child isn't going through a hard time right now, they all are, particularly when you have a close and loving relationship with a spouse or partner. And when you have to give that up temporarily or risk endangering them, and when you don't know if you yourself are going to be sick. So if you'll ever hug them again, there's grief attached to that. Not, not, not to mention grief attached to the loss of extended family, uh, connection to extended family and to good friends. Um, so there's, there's a lack of the restoration and the sort of um, nurturance that comes with being with people you love to just hold you up after a particularly difficult uh, shift or shifts. I think that's a good point because typically, you know, I actually had written a little poem about, you know, the mask and you put the mask on all day and then you get in the car and you take off your mask and then you go home and you put another mask on and the mask is more the mask that everything's okay. Now, my children, I kept at least, you know, six feet apart. You know, I didn't hug them for I don't know how long. We're just getting back to that now. But it's still, you know, I'm still cautious. It's still constant hand washing. It's still, you know, I can't remember the last time we just laid down and cuddled because there's still that element of the what ifs. Yeah. And I think, you know, I remember one nurse telling me that she hadn't seen her kids except at the window for a month. And she was tearful because it was really devastating. And she said, I, I rented a house and I, I can't go back there. My in-laws helped take care of them and I can't get them sick. And, and then she was at the hospital trying to do this really hard work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was a lot for a person to bear. And we all had different things that we were bearing, but two young children and not being able to see them. And I just thought, wow, that's, it's just so painful. It is. Yeah. How do you get back to normal? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. And, and yeah, is there a normal or is there a new normal or a series of new normals that, that come with this? And yeah, so you're feeling in that story, you, you just shared both your own and, and that of your colleague, you're dealing with your own grief, but you're also dealing with your children's grief, with spouse's grief, perhaps with your parents or siblings, uh, your good friends, none of whom can be close to you. And you're handling all of that grief on top of the terror of your patients and the terror and grief, then the just grief and perhaps anger on the part of the bereaved families. And that is a great deal to manage. And again, we are gonna need to talk in the second half of this about what people can do to metabolize that grief. The, the additional grief of not being able to be physically 
close with loved ones, especially children, spouses or partners and old, older parents, and how much sustenance we get when we're doing really painful work from being with life. And being, particularly being for, for younger nurses, being with children. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking how often people want to go home after uh, a day of really seeing human suffering and hug their children because that brings them back to the positivity of life. And when you can't do that, that is such a loss. There's one other source of grief that um, you and I talked about uh, not in this conversation, but in an earlier conversation. And that was the grief that nurses carry when they see the pain and feelings of loss that their colleagues have. So if you see a fellow nurse or any other clinician tearful in the hallway or the bathroom or wherever it is that you're stealing time to eat a quick meal, that adds to the pain because again, there's that compassion, there's that that sense of connection. And you know, our brains have these mirror neurons that have us feeling the feelings we see other people have. And that's very powerful. I will say there was a lot of nurses who lost parents or siblings to COVID-19 as well. Wow. So trying to recognize their losses while they're still trying to work through this disease has been really hard too. you know, just that loaded question of how are you? And then finding out my mother died of COVID-19 last week is challenging to say the least. Very challenging. And that's back to the war zone metaphor, you know, where, where nurses and doctors are working in hospitals, saving lives only to find that it's their own brother who's brought up on a gurney. And, you know, this is a terrible thing. And you don't have time to stop to grieve. That's just not much of an option when, you know, over 100,000 people have died in this country so far. And uh, so many more, what is it now, 1.4 million infected? It's pretty staggering, staggering numbers. So, what we what i think we want to do in addition to identifying what these sources of grief are is to talk about how the grief manifests how it shows up and what it means to people and i want to say that i think the main reason that we feel grief is that we are as a species as mammals we're wired for connection we're wired to feel restored by physical connection and by gaze and by hearing each other's voices and touch. And when we can't have those things, that is very, very painful. You know, there was um, some research that would not be allowed today done in the 50s by a an early psychologist named Harry Harlow. You might know about this, where he he took little uh, rhesus monkey babies and separated them from their mothers and gave some of them wire monkeys that gave them milk and gave some of them stuffed monkeys that looked like monkeys that didn't give them milk. And the baby monkeys all preferred the stuffed 
mother-looking monkey, even though it didn't nurture them, didn't sustain them, because they wanted the touch. And nurses can't have that when they are trying to protect their patients and their families at the same time. So that is grievous. And it violates some values that are really important because you were trained as nurses to offer comfort. And of course, the majority of nurses are women and women as a whole are trained to offer comfort to children, to spouses, to friends, as well as to patients. And when that comfort becomes impossible to offer, that that hurts us because it violates our values. So then the question becomes, how do you find a way to live your values when they're being violated? And that includes things like, how do you keep connection with loved ones when you can't touch them? How do you do that? Is it sending little love notes by text periodically? Is it by uh, recording a lullaby to a child so the child can listen to it? It could be um, rather than thinking about the grief one feels about family, it could be small ways of honoring the dead in your hospital, especially your colleagues, because some of you have lost colleagues. And that's a terrible loss. Uh, to consider as well, particularly when you know that there for the grace of God go you. Uh, so there's grace, there, there's there's grief and there's fear attached and guilt perhaps attached to that. So always there's the question of how you function at a high, the high level of functioning that is needed in a pandemic situation and still let yourself feel. And I'm curious what your experience has been working in that situation, whether you can let yourself feel in the moment or if that has to be later? So I deal with death on a regular basis, working in palliative care and end of life. I deal with suffering on a regular basis. So for me, I would say it was the amount of loss. I can remember you know, a week of having a couple of patients every single day pass and typically, I'm very good at separating the outside world from those losses. And some of them, you know, people aren't suffering or people, people were going through so much and they made a decision to stop care. I feel like in this instance, it was not, there wasn't really a time to stop and reflect on that person's life. There wasn't a time to sit with the family and to tell stories I didn't have those type of connections, which was different. I, I did have one family where the person did not pass, but we talked via Zoom in the patient's room every day for 20 minutes religiously for the weeks and weeks and weeks that this person was there. And that connection was very strong and very real. And if that person had passed, I think I would have had a much more difficult time Mm-hmm. are compartmentalizing because you get pretty good at putting things in the box and not dealing with them. And I will say for a lot of staff, I think we're pretty good at that because you can't do this job and feel everything. I think through my profession and the work I've chosen to do, if I felt everything, then I couldn't do this work. 
I can respect the loss. I can help the family, but I can't own it fully. But I suspect that there's a fair amount of grief that I have not processed or dealt with. I'm very sad for what healthcare looks like right now. It's not healthcare I've ever experienced. It's a different way of caring for patients and it doesn't feel the most caring. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw one of my patients I followed for a year who has metastatic cancer. I saw her yesterday and I walked in the room and she didn't recognize me. Mm. And a lot of times I wear a picture of myself on my jacket so people can see who I am, a big picture. And I pulled my mask down from eight feet away and she said, Gabe. And she said, gosh, I'm so sad. I can't get a hug. I always love your hugs. Uh. Said it again to me today. So I, I think that the loss and the grief, I don't think any of us have really processed it. And I think my motto, and probably you can look at it from the psychological standpoint, we'll see what you say about it. But my model is sometimes pushing through is how you deal with it. That you, Yeah. And that, I think you have to push through. Yeah. Because the the alternative to pushing through is that your patients don't get the care you need to give them. Right. You have to push through. But then the question becomes, when you're off duty, how do you metabolize it? Because the problem is that you're witnessing such constant tragedy, uh, somewhat less in your situation where death is, in most cases, a little bit slower, sometimes kinder, not always. And where there's there's more predictability to it, you right. know, it, it's there's not the suddenness of somebody can walk into a hospital on their own steam and be dead three days later. This is not what you're expecting in a palliative care unit. But for for COVID clinicians, I think the staggeringness of it all really requires them to be kind to themselves around what they are bearing witness to and what they're trying to do and really to find some way to be kind to themselves. You're going to have to do that off duty. There's not really time to do that on duty, except perhaps in small kindnesses you offer your colleagues and that they can offer you a glance, a, a kind word, a how you holding up, buddy? Uh, kind of question can I think can can make a difference. If you don't at some point feel your feelings, they will turn toxic. You know, I think about a hidden infection that can become septic. And I have two family members have died of sepsis in the last year, so I have a lot of thoughts. Sorry. So you're familiar, unfortunately. I'm painfully familiar with sex. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a good metaphor for what feelings can do uh, when, when they're unattended. You can become embittered. You can stop caring about patients. You can start being very cynical about uh, your work. And when you do that, you stop living by the values that nursing is all about. Very and, true. Yeah. I also think that I did see in some people via social media that they became somewhat confrontational and 
um, very angry because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot out there in the world about conspiracy theories and, you know, different information that is not what we were seeing and mm-hmm. misunderstanding and misinterpretation of data that felt important to providers. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that there was a, there still is a lot of anger of how people are coping with this and frustration about people being upset about wearing a mask to go to the grocery store when we're wearing masks 10, 12 hours plus. Yeah. So I think that the anger bubbles up in different ways. And sometimes I think that is a manifestation of the grief and not being able to process it or not being able to take the time to go for a walk or to eat a healthy meal or to sleep. People were not sleeping. I don't know how everyone's sleep is now, but it's all the uh, lack of sleep was pretty evident and people were waking up feeling things. Yeah. And I'm sure many people having nightmares as well as having insomnia. And that's all a message to oneself that it's time to be kind to oneself. It's, it's time to nurse oneself a little bit and to find ways to let your vulnerability in. Not, again, not on the job. You can't afford it when you're busy trying to keep people alive or let them go as with as much gentleness and dignity as you can possibly provide them, which is not easy yeah. in the COVID era. But in the absence of feeling those feelings, they will come out as rage or as depression or as dissociation, by which I mean a separation of your feelings from your thoughts. And that dissociation separates you from not only yourself, but from other people. And it can come out in um, addictive behaviors It can come out in abusive behaviors toward oneself or toward others. All of these are things you want to avoid, right? You you want kindness is what you got in this field for. So, and kindness to yourself is uh, of enormous importance. And, And that might mean sometimes saying when you're off duty and somebody you love is on the phone or on Zoom or from across the house, demanding something of you that you feel like you just can't do. You just need to veg for a while to be able to say, please, you don't know how hard this has been for me. What I need is your support. What I need is your nurturance. Please let me have that. I need it so I can go on. Thank you for listening to Unprecedented, Nursing During a Pandemic. If you found this information helpful, please share the podcast with your community. If you have suggestions for a future episode, please let us know. A link is provided in the podcast description. This podcast does not take the place of individual advice from a licensed mental health professional or medical doctor. Please seek support if you are struggling to cope with ongoing stress or negative thoughts please call your local emergency room. If you or someone you know is suicidal or in emotional distress, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-800-273-TALK. The number again is 1-800-273-8255. Again, thank you very much for listening. 
We wish you health during this unprecedented time.